0: And as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flame, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him, and thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Pilate
1: that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Lord, as we meditate on the theme of your kingship, I pray once again that you would open our eyes to see, that you would open our ears to hear, and that we could take comfort in the fact that you rule and reign. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, you are in heaven even now at the right hand of the Father, pouring out your Spirit, blessing your church, and we pray that you would do it even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name's Chris Myers, I'm one of the priests here. Uh, Dave and his family are taking Thanksgiving early. Um, They're in Canada with his family, and uh, so pray for them, and pray that the Canadians will let them come back. (laughs) Today is Christ the King Sunday. It's the last Sunday of the liturgical year. Next Sunday will begin the season of Advent, and we start the cycle over again. This cycle of the liturgical calendar, this cycle that orients us as the church to time. And as we are oriented to time with the church calendar, we are oriented to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because the whole calendar is built around him. Advent being the anticipation first of his first coming and the incarnation and our anticipation of his coming again. The season of epiphany when he is revealed to the world as the world's true king. The season of Lent, when we prepare ourselves for Holy Week, when Jesus, our King, ascends the throne of the cross and purchases us for himself. The season of Easter, when we celebrate that glorious mystery that he rose from life, that he conquered death. The season after that of Pentecost, the birth of the church, the empowering of the church. And then what we call ordinary time, which follows Jesus in his ministry. And there's nothing ordinary about it, except that that's just the rhythm of our days, that we're meant to follow Jesus. And then this day, Christ the King Sunday, which caps everything and gathers the meaning of it all under this simple confession, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord is the oldest and purest confession of the faith. If you had to boil it down to the meaning of the gospel, it's to confess that Jesus Christ is King. So we wanna talk about that today. And here we are in the United States, and we're a democratic country that famously revolted against kings and crowns, and yet we still seem to be obsessed with these things, kings and queens, kingdoms, thrones, and powers. So just consider the names of three prestige television shows, The Crown, Succession, Game of Thrones, which are all in their various ways concerned with power, and kingship, whether in the corporate world or the throne of England, or in a fantasy far, far away uh, with Game of Thrones. So part of the reason I think that we're obsessed with kings and queens and thrones and powers is because of the inherent drama that the quest for power automatically brings with it. This is all over the Old Testament. The problem with most kings is that they die. And the second problem with most kings is that their sons are idiots. That is first and second kings for you in a nutshell. You can be a good king, and your son can be an idiot, and it all gone with the breath. So ruling and reigning is a tenuous thing in the human sphere. So part of our obsession is with that drama. And I think the other part of our obsession with kings and queens is because our hearts long for a benevolent and powerful ruler, a king. Who can secure justice for us, who can secure our good. And if such a king could live forever, all to the better. Don't have to worry about an idiot son on the other side of that. So, last week, Dave talked a little bit about inheritance, specifically the idea that the Holy Spirit that dwells in us is given to us as a guarantee of our inheritance, which means that we are heirs, heirs of a king, heirs of a kingdom. And to have an inheritance as a Christian means that we have a king who is the one who secures our good, who saves us, who draws us to himself, and gives us himself as that inheritance. So with that in mind, on this Christ the King Sunday, I want to look at two questions as we look at our passages. And the two questions are this. One, who is the king that secures our inheritance? Who is he? And then the second question is this, how? does this king secure our inheritance? So the who and the how matter immensely. because when we're talking about earthly power or the way that things normally go, we can say things like, well, the ends justify the means. The how doesn't matter as long as you get what you want. But we will see with our king that the how matters immensely. And it's the reason that we can trust him as our king. So the first question, who is it that secures our inheritance? Daniel, in his vision, calls him the Son of Man. Look at Daniel chapter 7 in your bulletin, before the verses that we have, and thank you, Ben, for that wonderful and powerful reading of this passage. But the verses before, the ones that we read, is a succession of beasts, a vision of these beasts that represent earthly kingdoms. And those beasts matter because those beasts stand in contrast to what we have at the end of our passage. So we see these beastly powers, these kingdoms rising and falling on the earth, and we see the way that they secure power is through violence, through oppression, through force of will. The beastly character of human power in a fallen world, that's what Daniel wants us to see, and that it's kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. One rises, one falls. That's the sweep of history. But Daniel also wants us to see that there's something else going on, that there's a throne room. And that's where our verses pick up. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Ancient of Days being named for Yahweh, for God. He's seated in glorious splendor and power, and everything is ordered and aligned around him. The earth, the beastly realm is marked by chaos and violence. The heavenly realm is marked by peace and order. And we see that this ancient of days has power, that his throne streams with power. And we get a hint in verse 11 of this beast, this last beast that's mentioned, the little horn, that's his nickname. And we see that the dominion of the ancient of days destroys the little beast. But everything comes down to verses 13 and 14. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. That's a Hebraic way of saying the human of humans, the truly human one. The humanity of the son of man is in stark contrast to the beasts who are cast down by the ancient of days. To him, to the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. Now, that's the who, the son of man. And if he cannot be trusted and he is given infinite power, that's a terrifying reality. That's for you Marvel folks thinking of Thanos who can change reality with the snap of a finger. You don't want him to have all that power. You don't want the wrong person to have everlasting dominion. You don't want the wrong person to rule forever because that would be tyranny. That would be horrifying. There's something for me, or there's something for Daniel who shakes at that. The verse following what we read, it says, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. Well, yeah. If you saw the beasts of the earth jockeying for power with each other and you saw someone being entrusted with all power and your understanding as an exile was that the way that most people use power is for oppression or consolidating resources to themselves and not for blessing, that would be a horrifying image. And maybe it is for us too. Maybe we've had negative experiences of authority and power. So standing in contrast to the beast is the, this son of man, this truly human one, And this is so important for us to keep in our minds because this heavenly vision shows us what is. It gives us a glimpse of reality. This is an apocalyptic text and what apocalypse literally means is unveiling. It shows us what is. It takes us into the throne room, the control center of the universe where all authority and power derives from and shows us what stands at the center of things is this king this truly human king, the son of man. And we have to keep all of that in mind as we move into the gospel passage, when Jesus stands before Pilate, because there's a lot more going on than just a simple conversation. In fact, all of Daniel seven is going on (laughs) as Jesus talks to Pilate. So the who that secures our inheritance is this one, the son of man, and the how is the cross. How does he secure his kingdom? How does he secure us, his inheritance? How does he make us his heirs? He does so in the complete opposite way that most people do with power. Instead of lording it over people, exerting his power, he lays it down. And that's exactly what we see in our gospel reading. And on this Christ the King Sunday, our lectionary readings do us a great favor because they give us this Old Testament passage that gives us all the context for us to understand what's happening as Jesus stands before Pilate and says to him, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not beastly like Rome. You're a lackey of Rome. They are beastly kingdom par excellence. I'm not like that. My kingdom is not like that. If my kingdom were like that, my Followers would be beating down this door. They would be acting in violent revolt because that's the only thing that they would know if my kingdom were like your kingdom. But my kingdom is not like your kingdom. It is not of this world. And Jesus is saying essentially to Pilate, I cannot and will not play the games of power that you play because I'm the son of man. When Jesus stands before the high priests, he hearkens back to Daniel seven and says, you will see the son of man coming in clouds of glory. He knowingly and intentionally takes that title. It's the title son of man that Jesus most uses to refer to himself throughout the gospels. Son of man, son of man, son of man. Every time you hear it, Daniel seven, Daniel seven, Daniel seven, you have to think of it. Jesus says, I'm the son of man, which means I will not act in a beastly way and I will not take what is actually already mine by force. Now think about that. It's all already mine. Just snap my fingers like Thanos and have it back, but that's not what Jesus does. And this brings us to the how. How does our king secure us as his heirs, as his brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters of the most high? The cross. Jesus's trustworthiness as our king rests on this path that he willingly walks. From the descent, from this heavenly space, this throne room, into the cradle, which is what we will remember in the coming weeks in Advent, and then to the cross and through the cross and out the other side. He willingly walks this path as the way that he secures his kingdom and our place within it. This is how he secures our inheritance. It is the work of the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, which makes us heirs, which makes it possible for us to be right with God. And this movement is everything, that before Jesus ascends, he descends. His movement is downward to us. Paul says it this way in Philippians, that though he was equal with God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Jesus empties himself, takes all the power he has and pours it out. And Paul says, that's why he has the name above every name, because he's willing to give it away. He ascends after he descends, this is decisive. He lives as a human in order to bring us to the Father, in order to secure the life we cannot secure for ourselves. Without Jesus, we're just left with beastly violence jockeying for power, trying to get our slice of the pie. And Jesus says, I'm just giving myself away over and over and over. I'm pouring myself on behalf of you. He is the son of man. And here, the son of man, the human, and who inherits all things, stands before Pilate, who represents the agent of the beastly powers. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm doing things differently. I walk the way of the cross. And I invite those who invoke my name to walk that same path after me. So Pilate thinks he's in control and he has this kind of snide irony. It's not in the passage, but you know what he says. What is truth? Jesus says, I'm the truth. Pilate's like, what's truth? Come on. He's caught in a beastly way of thinking. But there's a deep irony in John chapter 19, just a chapter after this, after Pilate has decided that in fact, he will crucify him. And in John chapter 19, verse five, it says this, Jesus came out before the crowd wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. He doesn't know what he's saying, but what do we hear if we think of son of man? Behold the human, behold the human who stands as representative for all of you, who will die for you. Pilate doesn't understand any of that. it doesn't make it any less true when he says, behold the man. Here's the man. Here's the truly human one. Here's the one who will die on your behalf. Here's the human, the son of man. And so what we have in this moment, what we have in our gospel passage is the sharp and decisive contrast between Pilate's praetorium and Yahweh's throne room, the beastly sphere and the heavenly sphere. And the distance between Pilate's praetorium and Yahweh's throne room is infinite. It's an infinite distance. Pilate inhabits the beastly space, a living expression of the corrupt earthly kingdoms, and Jesus occupies the kingdom space, the heavenly space. But he does so in front of Pilate and says, my kingdom is not of the world. I'm bringing my kingdom into the beastly world. The distance between those two things is infinite. But the truly good news about Christ our King is that this son of man doesn't stay in the heavenly throne room. He spans the infinite distance himself. That's what the incarnation is. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. Our King humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. Our King dies for us so so that he might bring us to the Father. So that he might bring us to the ancient days, into the very throne room of God. That's what we were singing in the Revelation song. Remember what I said that apocalyptic literature shows us what is. And so much of the first part of the book of Revelation is taken up with showing us the heavenly space and heavenly worship. And this idea when we say holy, 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 when we say the sanctus in communion, that we are joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven forever sing this hymn. That's what is that heavenly worship is happening even now. And we are trying to be caught up in it. We are asking it to come down and join us to remind us of what truly is to remind us that we worship a King who has spanned that infinite distance. This is why the who matters, the son of man. And this is how the how, why the how matters that he went, through the cross and out the other side, conquering death, Satan, sin, and death. And for us, as citizens of his kingdom, as heirs of his kingdom, as sons and daughters of the Father of lights, this matters enormously because the character of the king determines the culture of his kingdom. The character of the king determines the culture of his kingdom. Which leads us to ask as his people, how are we relating to power? Are we jockeying for power in a beastly way as the church? You don't have to look very far in church history to find many examples of that. Pick your favorite. One way to relate to power is to pretend like what Jesus did doesn't actually matter in the real world. And we just let the ends justify the means. Well, we can't live that way because that's not the culture of the kingdom or the character of the king who rules and reigns over this kingdom. We can't ignore power either. There are pilots in the world. <laughs> there are many of them, but we do have to live in, in an honest way that recognizes that though Jesus rules and reigns even now, the fullness of that has not yet come. The decisive victory has been won and yet we live in this space between his first coming and his second coming where things are still playing out. And so we have a choice. How are we going to relate to power? Are we gonna ignore it? Are we gonna obsess over it? Are we naively going to pretend like it doesn't exist and try to eliminate it? And I would just say this is that we as Christians cannot default to a naked utilitarian version of power. We cannot delude ourselves into believing that the ends justify the means. The means are everything how you do it matters because how our King did it mattered. It infinitely mattered. There was a cross before the crown. And so it is for us. Jesus invites to walk the road with him to the cross. Bonhoeffer said it this way, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's what it is to follow our King. But the promise is everything what do you inherit? Everything. What is his kingdom like? It's like a mustard seed. What is his kingdom like? It's like a treasure hidden in a field. This is not a kingdom of bombast or braggarts. This is a kingdom where the last are first and the first are last. Because of the character of the king, that must be the culture of his kingdom. Later on in Daniel chapter seven, the vision continues and there's this fascinating verse, verse 18. It's not in your reading, so I'll read it to you. Daniel continues his vision. Verse 17 says, these four great beasts are four kings who will rise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. The Son of Man is given everything, and yet three verses later, his saints are giving everything too. How can that be? If the Son of Man inherits everything, how can he give his saints anything? Because he's one who continually gives away what he has out of the infinite store of his abundant goodness. The incarnation shows us this, the cross shows us this, the giving of the Holy Spirit shows us this. God is determined to share what he has with us. More than that, more poignantly, God is determined to share who he is with us to invite us into the inner life of God, to immerse us in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which we saw in baptism a couple weeks ago. The theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar says, God is so rich that he can afford to be poor. God is so rich that he can afford to be poor, meaning that he can continually pour himself out and give himself to us, and he's never gonna run out. We live with scarcity sometimes. We want our slice of the pie and we act in a beastly way to get it. But this kingdom is a kingdom where our God is so rich that he can afford to be poor. And we see that in the cross. We see that in the stark contrast between the son of man and the beastly way of being. So this is why Christ the King is a gathering point for us at the end of the liturgical year because it sums up in a phrase what it means for us to be the people of God. To be a people who not only confess that Jesus is Lord, but seek to live in a way that expresses the culture of his kingdom. And we can't do that on our own. We mess up. That's why we do confession every week, right? If we say we did not act in a bestial way this week, we are liars and the truth of God is not in us. I I did it. I get into power struggles with my kids. I mean, I don't have to zoom out very far <laughs> to find examples where I'm trying to get my slice of pie, she's trying to get her slice of pie, and there's just not enough pie. <laughs> Maybe you have experiences like that in your home or at your work too. If we say we don't act in a BCO way, then we're liars, but he is faithful and just to forgive us. He is faithful and just to pour himself out again and again and again and again ad infinitum on our behalf for our good to bring us to himself. So when you think or hear or say or sing Jesus is Lord, I hope some of this comes flooding back. I hope this idea that the truly human one is given everything and then he pours it out so that we can have it. That's the character of our King. And for us, you know, with this inflection point where we are, in a new space, at a new time, we've got new momentum, new energy, we have an opportunity to be ambassadors of that kingdom, to express in the way that we live, the way that we love each other, the way that we forgive each other, the character of the kingdom, and that we would be true and good ambassadors of our heavenly king. Amen? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, our desire is to see you high and lifted up. And most fundamentally, Lord, that begins in our own hearts. And I know I don't have to think very hard of the ways that I try to be king in my own life. So Lord, we confess those things to you and we want to lay them down. We want to walk the way of the cross. Knowing that you nail everything to the cross including those beast bestial ways that are within us. So Lord, we pray that you would be in our midst, that you would bless us, and that you would show us what it is to live the culture of the kingdom because of our great and godly king. And it's in his name we pray.
0: Amen.